Today's reading is from Luke 6, 43 through 49. For no good trees bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my word and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against the house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of the house was great. This is the word of the Lord. Be seated. Well, good morning, everybody. I'm Andrew, and I'm one of the pastors here at the Leewood campus. I don't know if you noticed, but it feels a lot like spring outside today. Are you excited or not really? I don't know. I can't tell. There you go. Uh, and that also means it's real estate season. So I know many of you, because I've been stalking you on Facebook or moving or looking at houses or whatever. Does anyone else ever just go on Zillow and just look at houses for fun? Am I the only one who does that? A couple of you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, first service, I asked that, and there was silence, and I felt really condemned and judged. So uh, <laughs> uh, I just, I don't know, there's something about it. Uh, my, my wife and I, we love looking at, at houses. Um, and uh, it actually reminded me of when we bought our house in uh, Kansas City not too long ago, a couple years ago now. And uh, I was so grateful to have a brilliant uh, realtor who could see all the details and all the stuff that I would totally miss uh, when you're buying a house. I'm so grateful for folks in that industry. Uh, it's so, it's, at least for me, it's really stressful to like look at houses and pick one. It's such a big deal. And uh, at one point when we were looking at the house we, we currently now live in, uh, our realtor noticed that the foundation walls had, had moved a little bit, something I wouldn't have seen. And uh, he pointed it out. He said, hey, we, we need to come get this checked out because look, this has moved. And I kind of went up to the wall and I kicked it a few times and I was like, it looks fine. It's fine. Uh, he, was like, no. he said, no, we're going to get a structural engineer. We're going to look at this. This is really, really important. Because what he knew, and I was beginning to learn, is that everything I loved about that house, you know, which, you know, was the kitchen or the bathroom or the open concept or, the, you know, whatever it was, however amazing those features are, like my realtor knew that if the foundation's bad, the whole house is bad. That, that is a critical piece to the whole house. Everything else is broken if the foundation's broken. And I couldn't just, I couldn't tell how strong the foundation was just by a casual look. I, I walked by it several times. It's something that has to be inspected. It's something that has to be looked at intentionally. Is this strong is, or is it broken? Uh, <clears throat> and you know this if you've lived in Kansas City for any amount of time because that foundation might look great when the weather is dry and it's nice outside. But come springtime, 
in Kansas City storms, right, you'd better make sure that foundation is secure because it will be exposed. Come sooner or later, it'll be exposed, whatever, whatever it is. By the way, everything I've just said about homes was true uh, of Jesus in his day. Homes in his time. Everyone understood, just like now, that a, a, a home was just as good as its foundation. To build a good home, you had to dig down deep to the bedrock. If you built anywhere else, you were inviting disaster. Your home is a ticking time bomb. We've been talking these last couple of weeks uh, in the Gospel of Luke, uh, through what is commonly called Jesus' Sermon on the Plain, here in Luke chapter 6. And what we've been focusing on these last few weeks is what is the kind of community Jesus wants to build? When he, when, when, when he births the church, what are they supposed to be like? That's what Jesus has been focusing on. What makes them different? He's been preaching about that this, this, this whole chapter uh, in Luke. And this is how he finishes that whole sermon. It's this a metaphor, basically, just like a house, Jesus says, is only as good as its foundation, so too is a life. A life is only as good as its foundation. And Jesus says, my people will be known for the strength of their foundation. This will set them apart. So here's our question this morning together, is where are we building our lives Where are we building our lives? As we're confronted with this message from Jesus, where are we building? And when's the last time you probably even asked a question like that? I think Jesus knew and we know how easy it is to live life without looking at the foundation. To get so caught up in the distractions of life and the busyness and the problem solving and the on and on and on and on. How rare a thing it is for us to really step back and say, wait a minute, why am I doing all this stuff? What is what is this for? What is my life for? And what's it built on? What's underneath all of this activity that I'm doing? And that's why Jesus, after everything he said in this sermon, he ends with what's really at the bottom of his whole teaching. He says, look at your foundation. This is the key. If you don't, if you're building on a broken foundation, the, re- the results are disastrous, and you may not even know it yet. So what makes for a good foundation in life? I want to read Jesus' words one more time. This is from Luke 6, starting now in verse 46. Jesus says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. There's a couple of principles Jesus is giving us here about the good, the strong foundation life, right here in these verses. And I, for the, this morning, I just want to look at a couple of those. And the first one you see Uh, right away that Jesus says here is that the right foundation must get below the surface. This is part of what Jesus is emphasizing. It has to get below the surface. And you see this in the contrast Jesus makes between these two houses. Jesus says one is built on the rock because the builder dug down deep, and the other had no foundation at all. It's just built right on the topsoil. But notice this, to to the casual observer, this is kind of Jesus' point, 
If you were walking by these two houses, the way Jesus tells it, they, they both look exactly the same from the outside. Jesus sets this up so that we can't miss it. The difference between these two houses is not what can be seen. As far as we know from the text, the roofs of these homes are the same, the appliances are the same, the layout is the same, the paint is the same. The difference between one house and the other is not what can be seen, but by what cannot be seen. It's the hidden part. It's the secret part. It's the below the surface part makes the difference. And if you were here last week, this shouldn't surprise you. In the middle of Jesus' sermon on the plain, uh, Pastor Darren was sharing all of these distinctives that Jesus gives for his people. Jesus says they'll be known uh, for forgiving in really difficult circumstances. They'll be known as a generous people, even not expecting things in return. They'll be so known for their love, they'll love even their, their enemies. These were a couple of things Jesus talked about earlier in this sermon. And though I loved how Darren summarized that. He said, these are tests of the heart. This is what Jesus is after. These are internal things that his people will be known for. They're tests of the heart. So what are you building your heart on? What kind of heart are you building? That part of you in the world of the Bible, the heart, that part of you that affects every decision, affects every action, it manifests in behavior, but it cannot be directly seen really by anybody but you and God. The heart, the below the surface part. So let's ask ourselves, where do we need to dig deeper for our foundation? Where do we need to dig deeper? I think if we're really honest, we, we all know that we spend a lot of time and energy and attention on the surface parts of our lives. We'd like to make sure the surface looks okay, looking the part, being okay, make sure no one sees the problems underneath. And I'm, I'm just going to beat this metaphor into the ground. So it's, 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 <laughs> it's like an open house, right, when you're trying to sell your house. Uh, you, you're, the whole point of an open house is you pretend it always looks like this. <laughs> Come on in. We're all, it's always this great. We do that at work. I'm great. We do that at school, we do that at church, we do it on social media. The surface looks amazing. But Jesus is saying that whatever is happening on the surface, as amazing as it is, it does not matter if the foundation is off. That's just how life works. So where do we need to attend to in our lives where the foundation's are off. Where, where are the things that no one else really has to see, but that we aren't paying attention to either? Where do we need to dig deeper? There's a lot of directions like we could go with that. I, I want to depict just two things that I, Jesus talks a lot about for his people, and I think are common places where we haven't dug very deep. So the first is our time. Jesus talks a lot about rest and work, both healthy rhythms of work and rest. Uh, that was really the controversy leading up to this whole sermon in the first place was about work and rest. So look at your calendar. Is, is there a day in the week where you and your family, for those of you with families, are not achieving? You're not doing, but you're ceasing and you're trusting God to restore you for the week to come. Even if things are left undone, right? Because Digging that foundation over time 
gets us closer to the bedrock of trust in Jesus that he will provide, that we can trust him with our time and our energy and with our rest. You see, it's digging deeper. The other is our, is our finances, is our money. Jesus talks a lot about money uh, when it comes to his people. And in particular, this past week, he talks about generosity as a key practice that will set his people apart. So are you, are you practicing the discipline of generosity? Do you see your, your, your money in particular, not just that, but in particular, as a gift from God to be stewarded for his glory and for your neighbor, for the good of your neighbor? Um, are you investing in this church family, this Jesus community that Jesus wants to build here at Christ's community? Is that a part of your regular giving? And for those of you who've never done that before, that's really, really hard, I know. There's a reason Jesus talks so much about finances. It's because it's really hard. It's one of the, those security blankets that we all feel, no, God, I can't trust you with this. But by trusting, again, by trusting Jesus with our generosity, we are laying a foundation that's deeper than simply a feeling of financial security, which so much of our culture is aimed at, right? Here's how you have enough to be okay. That's not deep enough. You need, we need to trust deeper than that in our God who provides for us. You see what I'm saying? We dig deeper with these disciplines. Like I said, we could look at a hundred more things, but these are two big ones Jesus talks about. And so here's my big question for you this week. And you can even start doing this right now, but look at, look at those two key things in your life, your calendar and your bank account. Your calendar and your bank account. And is there anything on those two pieces of paper or those two programs on your computer or on your phone where you can point it and say, I do this out of obedience to Jesus? There's no other explanation for why I do this with my money and why I do this with my time other than obedience and love of Jesus. If there's nothing, when you look at that on your calendar or in your bank account, you can say that about, you need to dig deeper. There's an opportunity for, there for you to, to dig deeper. Start digging. Because here's the thing. A shallow life, right, that topsoil life that Jesus compares to, can last for a while. Maybe even a long while. But eventually, the storms come. The waters come. And if we haven't dug deep, our lives will be exposed for what they really are. This is Jesus' second point. He says, a good foundation pays attention to what's below the surface. And the right foundation must be built to last. This is the right foundation. Now, in the ancient Near East, which is the context in which Jesus is giving this sermon, during the warm season, the topsoil could get really, really hard. It would get so dry uh, that you could feasibly build a home right on the topsoil. Right? You could actually do that. Digging down to the bedrock would be hard, it would be time-intensive, it would be expensive. So it was feasible that you could, you could build your home right on the soil, and it would be fine for a while. But what ultimately reveals the foundation, Jesus says, is the rains, it's the winds, it's the floods, it's the storms. Which is a common metaphor in the, in the world of the Bible for, for hard stuff. Suffering, loss, adversity, disappointment illness, sickness. On the wrong foundation, Jesus says, the hardships of life, the hardships of life will destroy that house. 
that will destroy that life. And according to Jesus, the storms here, notice, are not a matter of if. They're a matter of when. He says, when the storm comes, you'd better be ready. You need to think about your foundation. And I just want us to notice this together, that there's a very important difference between how Jesus describes the wise good life, which is what he's doing here, and how we often conceive of it in our kind of Western culture, which is where most of us really live, in Western culture. In Western culture, the good life, even if it's never said out loud, but like basically just look at any advertisement, any product is sold kind of this way. It's that the good life, this thing will make your life hardship free. The good life is, not, is, is, not, is about avoiding the storms, not making it through them, right? That's what we want. We want to avoid as many storms as possible. And there's really different ways we all try to do that. Um, I thought of a few. For me, a big one for me, is I want to avoid storms by having the right plan. I want to have everything laid out. I want to know everything, every detail, every possible contingency. If I mitigate all the risks, if I buy the right house, if I get in the right school system, if I get the right job, and then I save for college, and then I up the life insurance, then I can avoid the storms. I will never be surprised by anything. I'm prepared. That's going to save me. That's going to make my life good. That's a big one. The right plan is the right foundation. But maybe that's not you. Maybe for you, um, the right foundation is really found in pleasure and avoidance of reality. Avoiding really hard things. That's where addictive behavior kind of comes in, right? Sex, pornography, alcohol, um, the internet in general, anything, any kind of addictive behavior is really building on the promise that distraction and escape will help me avoid the storms of life, even for just a little while. And here's a, here's a scary one. <clears throat> this is one that people in this room, maybe in particular, are, are prone to. Um, sometimes we build our foundation on trying to be a good moral person. My moral goodness uh, and ethical uprightness is what will make my life good. For the person who believes in God, that looks like, God, I'm going to be good, and that means you're going to keep the storms away, right? Right? You owe me. I'm good. This was a very pharisaical approach to God. Uh, maybe you're here and you don't really believe in God, but there's still very much a sense that uh, the goal in life is to be a good person, is to have the right views and the right thoughts and the right attitudes about everything. That's the good life. That's the right foundation. Notice this with me. This whole sermon in chapter 6 from Jesus, uh, right before this sermon are two stories where Jesus gets in a fight with the Pharisees, essentially. They have a conflict. It's about rest and it's about work. It's about healing. Um, And the Pharisees become so angry with Jesus that in verse 11 of chapter 6, they actually circle up the wagons and say, what are we going to do about Jesus? And the implication there is we've got to take this guy out. In Matthew, it's even clearer. They, it says they get together to plot his death. That's how angry they are with Jesus. That's the backdrop then of this entire sermon. So remember that the contrast Jesus is drawing is not primarily between religious people 
and irreligious people. The blessings and the woes at the beginning, right? That's kind of a binary. There's a blessing and there's woe. And the two houses at the end, there's the good foundation and the, and the bad foundation, and the no foundation. This is not a contrast between people who go to church and people who don't. It's not uh, between people who uh, read their Bible and people who don't. It's applied to those people, it's relevant to those people, but it's not the primary contrast. It is something actually much, much scarier. It is between Pharisees who look the part, who act the part, who if you're a good Jew at this time, you want your kids to grow up and be like them. It is between them, Jesus contrasts them with followers of Jesus. That is the contrast. People who look the part, and people who've dug down to the bedrock. Jesus' warning here is there's a, there's a way to be a very good person and have an absolutely terrible foundation. There may be nothing more dangerous in our lives than telling ourselves, but I'm a good person, Jesus. But I'm a good person. Whether you're here and you consider yourself a Christian or not, Being a good person is not the point. Building your life on your good deeds is just as foolish as building your life on your bad deeds. You cannot build on being a good person. But some of us are really tempted to do that. That's why we think we're okay. So whether for you it's building your life on financial security and planning or pleasure or even your own moral purity, those things, Jesus says, that will all be exposed sooner or later, even if some of those things are really good ideas. And there's nothing, right? It's not bad that you want to be good. It's not bad that you want to plan. It's not bad that, that there's the pleasure in the world to be enjoyed. Those are not bad ideas, but they are terrible foundations. This is Jesus' point. They may look good for a while. They may be working for you right now. But Jesus' warning, notice, is not that these things don't work. His warning is they don't last. They don't make it to the end. They aren't enough for the storms of life. So let's admit together, where are we building where we know it won't last? We're building, we're hoping, but we know this isn't going to last. And if you can, try to boil that down to one word. Is it your reputation? Is it your academic success? Is it your marriage? Like, this has to be okay. Is it your family? We have to look the part. Is it physical beauty and youth? Is it financial security? Right, whatever it is. Is it your friend group? Admit where you're building. And then, here's the hard part. Think about the storm, the one storm that will take that away. And I'm not saying what storm might take it away. I'm saying what what storm is going to take that away? Because this is part of what Jesus is trying to teach us here. Right? Is it the storm of aging and getting older? Is it the storm, right? Which, and I don't mean to say getting older is bad, but it, 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 you lose things along the way that you may be trying to build your life on. You better be prepared for that. Is it the storm of making a mistake? Or a stock market dip? Or a wayward child? Or the loss of a loved one? Or a diagnosis you don't want? Is it the storm of death itself? 
Because we need to see, Jesus, Jesus is saying, he's implying here, and it's true, that we are all of us, no matter what we want to build our lives on, we are all of us one storm away from losing everything that is most important to us if we're not careful. Don't build on the surface where it doesn't last. The surface doesn't have to be like a sin. It doesn't have to be licentiousness. It can be a good thing that we've made an ultimate thing that can be lost in an instant. And Jesus is promising something very different from that. He's promising a foundation that lasts. If you were here a few weeks ago, <clears throat> our friends from Elam were here. You watched, we watched a little video about them. They do outreach in Iran. Uh, one of those friends that was with us, his name was Amir. And Amir uh, was up here up front talking about the Bible drive, but I, th- I believe it was on the Saturday morning event, he shared his story of how he came to know Jesus. And he and his wife were refugees from Iran. They made it to Turkey. And he said, we were lost, we were alone, we were scared, we didn't speak the language, very isolating. He said, we met a man who was a Persian speaker, so they could communicate. And he invited them into his home for dinner. And this was like a lifeline, right? They they didn't have anybody in Turkey. And uh, this man happened to be a Jesus follower. And so he shared the gospel with Amir and his wife. Now, when Amir tells the story, what's interesting to me is Amir doesn't remember the words that were spoken. He doesn't remember what this guy said. But he said, there was a peace in this home that I never had. And so he looked at the, he, what he said in reply to the man is, you have peace. How do I get it? How do I get it? There's a, there's a young man here at the church, at Christ Community, I know, who part of his journey of coming to faith and knowing Jesus Uh, was being welcomed by a family here at the church that's not his nuclear family, not his biological family. And he came from a really hurting, broken home. So that was new for him. But he saw how these people treated each other. He's like, you know, the children love the parents and the parents love the children. They treat each other with respect. Christmas and Thanksgiving are not nuclear war. Uh, You know, know, I've never seen that before. Part of his journey was seeing a foundation that, that he never saw. So his question to them is, what, what's that? Where does that come from? Right? And their response is, well, it actually starts here with Jesus. Can I tell you about him? Do we have peace like that? Do we, are we known for our relationships? Do we have a foundation to offer to someone that's more than the American dream? Because that's not enough. And I, I've known families, I know you have too. You've known people here in the church uh, over the course of my life who have lost children and have weathered that storm. There are people who get a diagnosis that's devastating and they've weathered that storm. There are people, marriages I've seen that not only could have ended but should, should have ended from a, from a human worldly standpoint, right? It's like this... There's no way this is going to make it. I know people who have very little, but they, they're generous with everything they have. I know people who are, ter- I've met people who are terminally ill and have more joy and peace and happiness than most people ever experience in their entire lives. I've known people 
There are Christians all over the world. There are Christians in this church who are facing storms that I can hardly even imagine, things I've never gone through. But, but they are not moved. Right? The stream comes and they are not moved. They are pressed but not crushed. Maybe you've known people like that in your life. Here's what I've seen about those people. They are not stronger than you are. They are not smarter than you are. They are not braver than you are. The house of their life, the stuff, is the same stuff your life's made out of. What's the difference between these people and the rest of us? It's, it's their life is built on the rock. That's the difference. So what is Jesus offering to us? He's not offering you a foundation that can avoid storms. If anyone offers that to you, they're lying to you. But he is offering you a foundation that can withstand the storm, that will not be moved by it. So how do we get that? What's the key to that kind of life? And this is the last thing Jesus really says here. This is our last principle anyway. And Jesus says the right foundation, this thing you've been looking for, You've been building and rebuilding over and over all your life. The foundation is me. Jesus says, it's me. Now, I want to end on this point because it's, it's frankly what the whole sermon for Jesus is built on. Everything that's come before in Luke is built on this. Everything that will come after in Luke is built on this principle. And it is simply, in, in so many ways, the most controversial thing Jesus will ever say in his ministry. And here's what I mean. Jesus says, right here in front of the whole world to see. He says, everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them is like a house that will last forever. And anyone who hears my words and does not do them is doomed to destruction. What is Jesus saying? He says, everything is centered on me. Everything is centered on me. Mere mortals do not make claims like that. If they do, we put them in an insane asylum, right? Jesus is saying, your entire life, your entire life, everything about you, whether you ever acknowledge it or not, is based on, is centered on your response to me. That is an astonishing claim. And just think about it this way. It's even more audacious when you actually begin to think about it because Jesus is saying that every human life is one of two houses. Every human life is one of two houses. And for all of the religions and the philosophies and the politics and the traditions, past, present, and future, all of the options you and I have for living, all of the possible ways of life for humanity, for all of time, every human life, every human accomplishment, every human act, every thought, every idea, anything that has or will ever happen in the world, Jesus says, is built on one of two foundations. It is either built on Jesus or it is not. And Jesus says, by the way, only one of those foundations will last. Jesus is saying here that the absolute worst thing that can ever happen to you or to me is to miss out on him. This is the worst kind of life. If we miss out on him, if we ignore him, if we disobey him, if we run away from him, if we trust in anything other than him, if we build our lives on any foundation other than him, 
Nothing else matters. You've already lost. If the foundation is off, it is only a matter of time before the whole house crumbles. It doesn't matter how beautiful and successful and manicured that house appears to be. It is doomed. So what does Jesus tell us to do with this incredibly audacious claim? How do we respond? What does this foundation really all boil down to for Jesus? Well, he's actually really clear on that. Jesus says, trust me and obey me. This is the foundation. Trust me and obey me. It's like the old hymn. Trust and obey. Okay, I'll stop. But trust and obey. It's very, everyone who hears these words of mine, Jesus says, is clear and does them. He says both. You know, who hears this word of mine and does them. Jesus says, yes, you must choose me as your foundation and then actually begin to do what I've asked you to do. Obey me. Begin to practice, even imperfectly, the life I'm calling you, designed you to live. This is why we love Matthew 11. It's on every part of our building. There's a yoke right out here if you've ever seen it in our lobby. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Jesus says, I'll teach you. Put your faith in me and I'll teach you to live this life of obedience to me. This is Jesus' offer. Now, here's what's funny about this. Whenever we talk about obedience, if you're here in the room and you're either not a Christian or you're new maybe to faith and church and stuff, this point probably feels like a duh. It's like, well, to trust Jesus is to obey him. What's, like, what's the difference? Sure, great. And if you're here and that's you, that's awesome. Keep on that path. But what I've found in my own Christian life and, and uh, kind of church life is that like longtime followers of Jesus, we, sometimes we get hung up on this. We, we, we get so excited about the let's trust Jesus part that we forget the obey Jesus part. Especially the parts of life that are hard for us to obey or we don't want his help to obey. And uh, I know I've used this before, but I don't care. Um, there's a pastor, his name's Francis Chan. He was out in California. I don't think he's there anymore. But he gives a great illustration about how churches talk about obedience um, and Christians in, in, in general. And he says, you know, he's a father with, with, a, with daughters. He says, imagine I go to my daughter and I say, hey, sweetie, can you clean your room? And an hour later, she comes back and says, hey, dad, I memorized what you said. <laughs> I clean my room. And I can say it in Greek. I can say it in Latin. Later, I'm going to invite some friends over and we're going to talk about what it might look like if I clean my room. <laughs> okay? This is not the foundation Jesus is offering to us. Jesus is not offering to build your life on a one-time prayer and never think about him again. Jesus is not offering to build uh, your life on the faith of your parents and to never think about him again. He is saying to this community right here in this room, choose me and obey me. This is the indestructible life. This is the foundation I'm talking about. And there is a moment, if you're struggling with that idea, there is a moment, I promise you, that it's there. When you put your faith in Jesus and you begin to practice the life Jesus offers to you, you begin to repent of the deep sin in your heart, you you begin to see how broken even your motivations are in so much of what you do, and you ask for God's help, And you begin to see even the good things in your life, even the things you thought you did right, but you actually did them for all the wrong reasons. You begin to repent even of those things. And to say, God, help me to live for your opinion alone. Help me to obey you alone. 
there's a moment in the life of every Jesus follower where you realize, I'm no longer doing this because I feel I have to. I'm doing it because I actually want to. If that's you, you are, you're in the right place, that you're in the right spot. Pastor Tom once told me that the love language of Jesus is obedience. This is what Jesus responds to. He jumps at it when people obey him, even in the smallest little ways. And we're actually going to talk more about that next week, a story of Jesus jumping at someone's faith and obedience. Um, when we obey Jesus and trusting him, uh, we bring him incredible. He's delighted by that. But I want you to know something too. Our obedience is not just for Jesus. It's for us. It's part of the good life. That's the whole point. Jesus doesn't offer you this life of obedience to him because he wants you to jump through hoops and prove your love to him. It's because it is the good life. It is what you've been looking for. It's his design for you. Now, maybe you're here and you aren't convinced. I, I want to talk to you if that's you in the room. You're here and maybe you've listened kind of, but it, you're numb to this. It's just like, I don't really care right now. Or maybe you're here and you, you're really, really content with the foundation you're building. It's working for you. I like what I've got, Andrew. That's fine. I get it. I really do. I've lived parts of my life like that. But I want, if, you, if that's you, I want you to listen very carefully to me right now. If you walk through these doors and you, you don't want to take Jesus up on this offer, I understand. But when the storm comes, and it will come, I don't know what it is, but it will come. When the storm comes, and it wipes away these things that you've been building your life on, I want you to know Jesus will still be there for you. His offer still stands. He will be there. And he'll say, I'm still here to give you an indestructible life if you want, if you're ready. You may be here and you may not be ready to rebuild your life. I get it. But I need you to know, I need you to hear, Jesus is always ready. He's always ready for you. And that applies to those of us in the room who are avoiding him. He's always ready. Let's pray to him now. Holy Spirit, show us in our lives where we are digging fruitlessly. We are trying to lay a foundation that doesn't last. Give us eyes to see where we're missing it. And Jesus, give us guidance. Guide our steps and our thoughts and our heart, even just this week. To once again say, Jesus, you are the rock, you are the foundation. May we build our lives on you. God, give us the strength to do this thing, these things, we pray. In Jesus' powerful name, amen. We wanted to finish today by taking communion together. Um, part of why we want to do that, when we take Jesus' blood shed for us and his body broken for us, is there's a moment as you step up where you're presented with this choice again. Where Jesus says, this can be my sacrifice for you. Can be the foundation of your life. This can be it. Or we can walk away and not, not receive and not take. And so as you come, as you prepare to take this together, take this opportunity, even as you're waiting in line or you're, you're receiving the elements, 
to remind yourself, to look for, to ask God to help you to see those lies you're tempted to believe, to unearth the sickness that's in our heart, and to name those things that we're trying to live for as what they really are, which is sinking sand that cannot support a life. And instead, take the sacrifice of Jesus. And when we do that, when we receive this again, right, this symbol of Jesus' love and care for us, we remember not only that Jesus' words and his teaching and his commands are right, but that they're good. That we take them, we receive them. If you're here and you've never chosen Jesus, you've not built your life on him, I'm so glad that you're here. I know it takes courage to come to church like this, but if that's you, stay, stay where you are. Uh, consider what you've heard. Maybe pray to Jesus to give you next steps in your life to know him better. If you're here and you've built your life on Jesus, you're a follower of Jesus, there are stations all around the room. And when you're ready to come receive, please come.